What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to the Chase Thomas podcast. Taping this on a beautiful Tuesday afternoon here in Knoxville, Tennessee. John Taylor, Fangraphs, is also here. John, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Hey, not too bad. How about yourself? Not too bad. Getting getting really. Getting really accustomed to the new, clear-sounding John Taylor. I, I very much enjoy it. So I'm, I, want, I'm very, I wonder I'm, if people in your reviews have like noticed that, too, if they're just like, wow, this just sounds different now. <laughs> Who is this new Fangraphs John Taylor? I remember Jonathan Taylor Thomas talks Major League Baseball, but I don't, I don't seem to recall this, uh, this John Taylor Fangraphs fellow. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a whole new ballgame. It's a whole new ballgame. Speaking of whole new ballgames... Uh, John Taylor, a new world in the AL East. The Red Sox are in first. The New York Yankees, I believe, are five and ten. Uh, Garrett yeah, last Cole, place. Yeah, last place. New York Yankees. For the Knicks to come back, the Yankees had to fall. It's a, it's an unfortunate dilemma for New York fans. But Garrett Cole has thirty nine Ks through four starts. He pitched over the week against the Rays. Um, Cashman's already said they're not panicking yet. Uh, the weirdest part about all of this to me is that the Yankees bullpen is the only thing keeping them afloat, um, which is kind of weird because I don't think either of us would have predicted that to start this season. But uh, yeah, what do you make of Cole's early season starts and uh, the Yankees just being bad? The Cole stuff doesn't surprise me. I mean, this is just who Garrett Cole is. And I, I picked him to, I, I think I had him as my preseason AL Cy Young pick. And so far, he's not making me look any any bit foolish on that. That doesn't surprise me. Mm. The Yankees, that I mean, that's a slightly different thing. I think there, there are two sides to it. One is that I think Cashman is right. Like, it is it is early. And though, you know, these games count just as much as games in September count, just as much as games in July count. You know, you don't want it. You don't want to be 5-10. and 10, And I'm sure no one in the Yankees organization wants to be 5-10. and 10. But there's some stuff in there that I think is just, you know, they're not hitting with runners in scoring position. And that's not generally something that's either predictive or something you can assume is going to continue forward. Um, there have some injury issues that hopefully with better health will make that team a little, will make that team stronger. As you said, the bullpen is working fine and that's without Zach Britton. Once he comes back, that's a big boost there too. On the other hand, you know, you mentioned the health stuff. It's not as simple as just saying, oh, well, they're going to get healthy. This Yankees team has had a real problem staying healthy and it's notable that it's, it, it just seems to be like an epidemic, especially of just what seemed to be, or at least you would imagine to be like preventable soft tissue stuff i mean obviously that the luke voigt stuff is is a big issue and you know something they couldn't necessarily have seen coming but i think more concerning for the yankees have to be uh, two separate things right now one is the rotation beyond garrett cole which is really just not functional right now uh jordan montgomery's looked all right but jameson tyon and Corey kluber have been pretty so so and beyond that the fifth starter spot depending on how you feel about domingo herman who's been awful or you know maybe at some point davy garcia gets up there Regardless, they haven't gotten a lot of depth or length from that from that uh, chunk of the rotation or a lot of success. And that ties into what I think is almost an even bigger problem for them. Defensively, this is not a good team. 
And this is something you could have seen coming, I think, at the start of the season, especially if you look at the infield. And obviously Voight being out kind of screws things up a little bit because they, you know, they they tried the Jay Bruce experiment and that didn't work. Now they've got LeMahieu playing first base. Um, but I think the the bigger problem there is you've got, and this is really big, Glaber Torres is not a shortstop. Mm-hmm. He, he's just not good enough defensively to play there. It's, it is just past obvious at this point that he is not capable of playing that position. But be, And because you have LeMahieu playing first base, now you have to do stuff like have Rugnit Odor play there. And I, this, this is kind of another thing where it's like, these are problems that the Yankees are trying to paper over with very cheap, very bad solutions. Like, yeah. Jay Bruce was not someone I think anyone would have realistically expected to do much of anything at this point in his career. And then he up and retires like two weeks into it. And Odor is just, I, I don't understand that move at all. There's nothing to Rugnit Odor. The upside of Rugnit Odor is 30 very cheap home runs and nothing else. He's a bad defender, a bad hitter, seems to be kind of a weird clubhouse guy given you know, all his penchants for punching people. I, I, that's when I just, I, it just struck me as that being cash and trying to find a solution at a dollar store, you know, which makes no sense to me. This is the Yankees. Why, why are they? I mean, I understand like, you know, April, whatever it is, 20th right now. Hey, 420, blaze it. Um, you're not going to get like a premier second baseman if you need one off the, you know, in a trade. That's just not going to happen. But you should be able to do better than Rugnet Odor. I mean, the Yankees have Derek Dietrich floating around their alternate side, I believe. He's probably better. Anything is better than Rugnet Odor. But regardless, I think, you know, if you're if you're the Yankees, there's some there's some elements where you're like, okay, things will change, things will get better, you know, this will improve. But I think if you're Brian Cashman, you've got to be thinking, okay, there are two there are two areas that really are probably going to need external reinforcement or improvement. One is a rotation, and one is a defense. Some way or another, we've got to figure that out. And I think until they do, it's it, it's really going to put kind of a ceiling on what this Yankees team can do. I think they're going to they're still going to be good. I mean, that offense is way too good to be this bad, if that makes any sense. And I do think things will improve as as the season goes on, especially as they get guys back from injury. But there's some stuff going on there that is legitimately a problem for them. This is not just a, a fluky bad start. This is this is a sign that there are some there are some issues that the Yankees need to figure out. Yeah, I I'm I'm wondering when they'll actually start to get nervous because uh, the AL east is just kind of weird right now because the rays are playing 500 ball you've got the blue jays playing 500 ball i mean vlad Guerrero jr is in shape and mashing at an unreal rate velocity wise like his home run the other night against the royals just like <laughs> he is hitting with an insane amount of power is he number one in home run power right now he's, he's way up there but i think for the yankees like yeah. you're already kind i mean this Yankees team still projects as the best team in the American League East yeah. and is the best team in the American League overall. The problem is when you get off to a 5-10 and 10 start like this, especially coupled with the Red Sox getting off to their start, your margin for error is basically gone now. Yeah. Uh, looking at the Fangraphs projections, it's the Yankees at 90 wins and 72 losses, the Red Sox at 88 wins and 74 losses. The Yankees mm. have lost 20 points off their playoff odds in just two weeks. So at th- from this point forward, the Yankees, this is the thing. These games do count insofar yeah. as the Yankees cannot afford another 5-10 and 10 stretch or something worse going forward. they got to play better than this because they've pretty much wiped out whatever cushion they would have had. Because like you said, like the rest of the AL East, especially the Blue Jays and the Rays, they haven't taken advantage of it, but you know they're probably going to get better too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this isn't something where the—I mean, the Yankees aren't lucky, I guess, in that sense that they're going 5-10 and 10 when the rest of the East, with the, with the exception of the Red Sox, isn't doing particularly well. But it does pretty much wipe out whatever— But like they're I not flaming out here. Air. They're playing 500 ball. Yeah. They're staying afloat. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like you're not, they're treading water while the Yankees are just struggling to keep their head above it. And yeah. that's I don't the think idea. their head's above it. I think it's below right now. It, yeah, it's below. Yeah, it. well, 
it's, it's trying to get their heads even just above, like just gasping for air above it. I feel like, um, who was it? Uh, Lester Freeman, when he was talking to McNulty in The Wire, and he's like, the job will not save you. I want to say, yeah, or right. Chapman's splitter will not save you, Yankees fans. It's not. It's a very good it. splitter, though, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. He just started basically throwing it this year, and it's completely unhittable. It, it's yeah. absolutely wild. It'd be it'd be nice if he was a likable person to root for because it's a crazy thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. The Dodgers are still rolling. I think they're thirteen and four as of this recording. Um, they're off to the best start since they moved to Los Angeles. How stunned are you about the the Dodgers winning thirteen of their first seventeen games? Absolutely not. <laughs> I, I I thought this was the best team in baseball coming into the year, and there's nothing that suggested to me otherwise. Like. I, you look at this team. I, I think the 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 easiest way to to make it clear how good the Dodgers are is Zach McKinstry. Mm. This dude was like a 36th round draft pick or whatever. Total nobody coming up through the minors. Gets a roster spot in part because the in part because the Dodgers let a guy like Kike Hernandez walk, and they need a new Kike Hernandez, a guy who can you know play multiple positions, be this kind of utility guy off the bench. And McKinstry is not only doing that but excelling at it. This team just find the not only does this team find guys like this and develop guys like this and just create players like this they they literally just create them out of thin air yeah this kind of depth is something no other team in baseball has and i think you saw it in that padres series when they took two out of three and realistically it could have been the whole it could have been a sweep if not for a late san diego comeback in the in the third game you you have to wear this team down mm-hmm. and it is so hard to do it because they just have more pieces than you everywhere and then they, they have, have a better Betts diving catch to to angle yeah and that's like, and like but, obviously mm-hmm. some of this calculation some of this calculus rather changes if mookie bets uh, he got hit by a pitch on monday night in a what looked like a very very painful uh hit by pitch to the arm obviously this calculus changes if bets is out for an extended period of time particularly now that they're down cody bellinger for an mm-hmm. indefinite period of time but the tr- that's the thing about the Dodgers. They have so much depth that even if they lose two MVP players, literally two MVPs, they're still the best team in the National League because they just they have this depth everywhere. And the, and the thing is, even if they even if they do lose pieces, you know that because of the farm system they have and because of the financial flexibility they have and the, the Dodgers are true financial flexibility. Financial flexibility just means you have money because of the finances they have. They can go out at the deadline and make an impact acquisition if they need to. You know, it's like this is a team where it's you're not necessarily going to beat them so much as I think they're going to beat themselves. Yeah. And, you know, so them getting off to the start, they're off to doesn't surprise me. Like I said, I thought this was the best team in the National League. I think they're going to repeat as World Series champions. And, I, you know, because the, the team you saw, this is better than the team you saw last year. And the team you saw last year was on pace to win like 115 games. So I none of this surprises me at all. The only the only uh, like I said, the only real issue here is going to be injuries. And so just you just got to hope that Mookie's okay and that Bellinger's back sooner rather than later. Yeah, they did a uh, better job with McKinstry than uh, the Braves have done with Sean Casimir Jr. Sean Casimir Jr. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be a, an everyday player for the Braves. Good yeah, Casimir's a, nice, a nice story, though. It's dude, a was, dude, story. Just gra- dude came to the baseball, what, 14 years ago? Yeah, he's a good Absolutely star. insane. Uh, Gwinnett Striper's legend, Sean Casimir. Um, let's just talk about your team, the Red Sox. Let's um, do it. They sport one of the best bullpen ERAs in baseball right now. I was looking at just their lineups and going through some box score stuff with them and just looking about it. He's like, okay, that's interesting. Okay. JD Martinez numbers are just like when you pull up his numbers on fan graphs, like your laptop literally lights on fire. Like it just, it, it, it bursts into flames. Yes. Yeah. It just bursts into flames. Um, Verdugo, um, who you were kind of out on, you look at this outfield and you kind of look at what Vasquez is doing at catcher and, um, Dahlbeck batting at the end of the blood like Bogarts I think is like tied 
or leads the AL in hits, I want to say. Is that right? Is Bogarts? Because I'm pretty sure Bogarts is right there. He's up there. Um, um, Devers leading, is hitting. Like, you look up and down this group, and you look at just the utility guys, like Gonzalez and everybody where they could just play everywhere at Dahlbeck, and they're super thin. The bullpen, we had some questions about the season. You look at the rotation. I, I just... Evaldi's like 3-1, and he was good, uh, I think it was last night. But, like, you, I just I don't understand it. But it's really, like, a grit-and-grind committee approach offensively um, for the Red Sox, but also just the bullpen's just dominating. I, I don't understand it. I really don't understand the Red Sox. Yeah, you, you and me both. I, I think I think what's important here is something I, I feel like I've talked about before, but I'll say it again. I think the most important thing for this Red Sox team, or at least the biggest difference between this Red Sox team and last year's Red Sox team beyond this team actually being good, is that the floor is just that much higher. Last year, Martin Perez was probably like the number two starter in the rotation. Now he's fifth, and that's exactly where Martin Perez belongs. Uh, he has an ERA near six and an ERA plus of 73. That's bad, but you can survive that when you have other pitchers in front of him who are better. Nate Yavaldi has been great. Eduardo Rodriguez looks like he's come back very strong. Nick Pavetta, I don't trust, but the results have been good so far. Tanner Houck has been awesome whenever he's been called upon and is available down there in case, you know, someone like Perez or Pavetta or, or Garrett Richards gets hurt. Similarly with the bullpen, you just have more quality options now. Even beyond, like, Matt Barnes and, uh, well, and mostly beyond Matt Barnes, who I think was really the only good part of last year's bullpen if that even counts you know you have adam Ottavino and you have matt andrees who's been surprisingly useful and you have garrett whitlock who was a fantastic rule five pickup you know guys like phillips valdez and josh taylor well, again maybe not josh taylor has been terrible but guys like phillips valdez and i was gonna say austin bryce but he's also been terrible let's just stick with with valdez valdez and again a guy who was way too high up in the leverage chain last year in terms of being asked to to pitch in situations he clearly just wasn't good enough to pitch in now he's a guy who comes in when you're two runs down or four runs up or whatever it is that's much better again the floor is so much higher because you have guys like Kike Hernandez and Marwin Gonzalez and Hunter well Hunter Renfro when he starts hitting better who are just better than what they were trying to throw out last year and there, there's still some issues here I think I think defense defensively this is not a good team pretty much anywhere except for I think Vasquez and uh, the outfield's okay for the most part. Renfro's actually surprisingly a, surprisingly a good defensive outfielder, despite the fact he looks like he's made <laughs> out of concrete. But defensively, there's a bit of a problem here. First base, you're kind of sinking or swimming with Bobby Dalbeck right now, and right now it's sinking. Second base is... I mean, you can you can look at Christian Arroyo's 131 OPS plus and be happy about that, or you can look at the fact he has one walk and 40 plate appearances and be kind of worried. You know, I think there are some holes here, and I think ultimately this team ends up a little closer into the... 82 to 86 win territory than the what are they at now on pace for their uh, I'm just going to do this math real quick they are on pace to win 104 games that's not going to happen <laughs> but I think this is clearly a team that if nothing else assuming health holds and assuming that you know that these some of the, these performances aren't completely just out of nowhere and I, and I think you look at the the underlying metrics too a lot of these guys it really does seem like this is I mean, you, that's the thing. You can count on Bogarts and Devers and Martinez and Verdugo and Vasquez. Like, these are established good hitters. I think at this point you can safely say this Red Sox team, barring some really weird collapse, is probably headed for at least 500 and at least part of the AL wildcard uh, playoff conversation, which right now includes the Red Sox, the Mariners, and the Royals, which is just all kinds of silly. What am I saying? The, Ro the Royals are in first place in the division, aren't they? 
it's, I, think it's, I think the first place teams in the American League right now <laughs> are the Red Sox, the Royals, and the Mariners. Yes. Who the hell saw that coming? Well, I think we can go ahead and just cancel the rest of the season. I think this is clear. These are the three best teams. Yes, absolutely. Let's go um, ahead and wrap it up. Yeah, that that Mariners Royals ALCS is going to be absolutely wacky. Let's let's get excited for that. Um, but the Royals, you know, have actually been a pretty good story. Whit Merrifield's been good. Um, Solar's not hitting it. Uh, they got. It's weird that Carlos Santana is just uh, in the two hole for them. But um, yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I think. Well, I think especially with um, just looking at the standings reminded me of this too. When you when you look at those three first place teams, what makes the Red Sox feel especially kind of believable to me is that they've got a they have the best run differential in the American League right yeah. now and the second best run differential in baseball behind only the Dodgers you don't luck your way into a plus 28 run differential not to mention they are the leading scoring team in all of baseball with 96 runs right now did you see the MLB.com stat on the Royals uh, I did not know okay it's pretty bonkers it's uh the Royals have not lost a game when they were winning after seven innings since like June 2019 I can believe that that's that's a, it's a surprisingly solid bullpen yeah all things I think that's if you got one thing that all three of these teams have in common it's their bullpens are surprisingly solid like the Red Sox really have yet I think they might have one loss right now after uh, with a lead after after seven or something Seattle's bullpen has been pretty good Rafael Montero notwithstanding Kansas City's bullpen has been good I just think the thing you run into with both those teams as opposed to Boston is the p- the pieces there aren't as good and for Kansas City, that offense just is not very strong, and for Seattle, the pitching is not very good. So I think that's that's kind of the issue for those teams there. But that I mean, that's a that's a different conversation. Speaking of good pitching, though, um, the Milwaukee Brewers really good. Um, they have an MLB best two point oh seven ERA. Did you have this this point in the season with the Brewers? Not necessarily that low, but I think. Looking at what they've done, the combination of Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns, I think you, I don't think you could have seen like Corbin Burns has an ERA plus of almost 900 and hasn't walked a guy in like four starts. I don't think anyone definitely saw that part coming. But you could have seen at least with Burns coming the fact he's leaning more on his cutter. It's been a very good pitch. It gets both helping him with strikeout and ground ball numbers. Woodruff obviously has been good the last two years, so that's not a surprise that he's that he's good this year. Freddie Peralta has always had the stuff. It's just been a matter of harnessing it. So far, so good on that. Again, I think it's something similar to the Red Sox where instead of asking, in Milwaukee's case, Brett Anderson to kind of carry the load, now he's your number four or number five starter. And you can live with that a lot more easily than when your rotation is Brandon Woodruff and a whole bunch of question marks like it was last year, it felt like. So I'm not surprised by that. I think the the thing with Milwaukee is... They're you know, all I mean, yeah, it's it's not been great, and Christian Yelich being hurt doesn't help, and Lorenzo Cain being hurt doesn't. It just feels like everyone there is hurt. Colton yeah. Wong is hurt as well. Jackie Bradley um, Jr. is getting the most amount of at bats. Yeah, that's that. I I love JBJ more than more than life itself, but you don't want to be in a situation where he's the guy who's getting the most plate appearances. That that's just not ideal. But I think this Brewers team, the way it's built, though, especially it's a defensive defensively, it's a good team. Uh, pitching staff is is good. The bullpen. Even though Devin Williams has been very bad lately, um, Josh Hader's been awesome. You know, Brent Suter's been a very good bullpen piece, which is, didn't really see coming. I, I think this team is kind of built to win more in that pitching and defense mindset of let's let's just kind of grind out some low-scoring wins. You know, we'll have Yelich kind of do the heavy lifting. We'll have, you know, ideally Lorenzo Cain will chip in, you know, get a bounce-back season out of Travis Shaw. Maybe Avisail Garcia is finally making kind of a full leap. Uh, the big thing I think missing for them right now is that Kesson Hero just looks lost. I mean, 20 strikeouts and 56 plate appearances, that, that's just not going to cut it. 
Um, to the point where I do wonder if maybe he just needs to go down to the alternate site and just kind of work on some things for a little bit because you can't keep running a guy out there striking out in almost half his plate appearances. The problem right now, obviously, for the Brewers is, you know, if you do that, okay, now you're starting Daniel Robertson every day or you're starting Dan Vogelbach every day or you're starting, you know, Jace Peterson every day. And that that's not that's not really going to fly. And I think more than anything, that's probably the issue with the Brewers. It's not just that they're not hitting. There's not really any depth there that – you know, you, this team needs its stars healthy and needs its 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 key pieces healthy because they they don't really have that Dodgers like depth to fill in for that. You know, you you don't want to be in a situation where Tyrone Taylor and Billy McKinney are taking regular at bats. Yeah, I'm not a Brewers believer. I I, I think they're gonna fade. No, I, I don't I don't I don't think this is better than a 500 team. Honestly, ultimately, um, I think, but I do worse. think that there is. Because I think the I do NL think Central that there's a little bit better than I thought it was going to be, and I think yeah, it, it kind of falls off a little bit. It's not total trash. It's no. not great, but it's not total trash, except for the Cubs, who are complete trash. Well, hold on, the Cubs also just like fucking blew us out on uh, sat. Like the Cubs are a really annoying team. Like the Cubs, that whole series was just dumb. What a dumb series uh, it was. The but the, the Cubs Braves. have 50, the Cubs have only scored fifty one runs. Yeah, which is kind of crazy when you look at this lineup. It, like the lineup should not be this bad. When I was looking up, and no, down, but like, uh, but at a certain at a certain point, you kind of have to feel like okay, wh- whatever's going on with Javi Baez is not just like this is a slump. It's like no, this is a real problem where he just just his particular style of hitting, which is I will swing at everything, you know, results be damned, just doesn't work. Like there needs to be some significant retooling of what's going on there. Because the thing, you look at the Cubs lineup beyond Wilson Contreras, Anthony Rizzo, and Chris Bryant. Who do you feel comfortable with? Who who is there who you're thinking, oh, they're gonna turn it around and be better? Maybe Ian Happ. I was gonna say Ian Happ fits the bill there. But otherwise, like David Bodie is a is a backup. Jason Hayward is just very clearly never going to be a good hitter again. Jock Peterson probably is not supposed to be a full time hitter, although I, I do wonder if there's something going on similar to with, with I think what with the deals with Kike Hernandez is these are two guys who went from being part time players for the most part in warm weather climates to full-time players in the freezing cold. And if it's just going to take them a little bit of time to kind of get into not just that rhythm, but also adjust to, hey, it's 45 degrees outside as opposed to it's 72 every day, you know? But even beyond that, like, there's a whole huge chunk of this lineup you do not expect to be hitting. And pitching-wise, yeah, Kyle Hendricks should be better. Zach Davies should be not this bad. But what else are you counting on there? This is kind of the thing with the Cubs is like you just you very quickly run out of guys you feel comfortable with and that you can trust. And I think ultimately this is going to end up being I don't think this team has anything close to being a playoff contender. I think more like than not, you're going to see them moving Kimbrell and maybe even Rizzo at the deadline, Uh, especially because with Rizzo, they just just spat on him and said, no, we don't really want you back. So it really is kind of shameful the way the Cubs have done all this. Not shameful, though. It's time for the John Means Power Hour. John Taylor. Sure. Yeah, sure. Why not? The, the Orioles need a look. The Orioles need an AL All Star, and John Means is right there. So I mean, he was an All Star in what 2019. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, there's, oh, there's, you know that. Remember that show, Designated Survivor, with Kiefer Sutherland as the. Uh, you know, well, the the whole idea of. is that like, uh, in the in the event of like the president being killed or whatever, yeah. or, or there's someone designated to uh, assume the role of the presidency. Right. You know, as very like it just keeps going down and down the chain mm-hmm. uh john means is the designated all-star like he <laughs> is just he is just the guy where it's like when 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 they're looking to fill out the al roster it's like oh shit we don't have an oriole uh john means fine and like he would he would entirely deserve it and i think i i, I, yeah, I don't I mean, know he's got like a, a i mean a 1.52 era 0.93 whip 
23Ks over... Uh, 23 just, innings. Yeah, he's yeah. been very good. And I, I think I pointed this out, or we talked about it when we did our Orioles kind of 2020 review, 2021 preview. He was unlucky last year insofar as he had some injuries to deal with. His velocity was a little down. It felt to me, it's like, if he just gets the velocity back up and is just healthy, he's going to be back to being that kind of all-star caliber pitcher he was back in 2019. And so far, he's showing it. So it, it doesn't surprise me at all to see him doing what he's doing. It was just a matter of, okay, let's let's get that velocity back up. Let's get healthy again, and we should be all good on that capacity, and so far, so good. So congrats to John Means, who is, again, just making the easy case for when when the, when the they have to pick an, an all-star for the Orioles, that he's just right there, just got his hand up, be like, yep, pick me, I'm right here. And congratulations to the Seattle Mariners, the first place Mariners can't ever see it falling apart. The Mariners are 11-6, and six. nature is healing, the Mariners are off to a great start. Uh, Kyle Lewis just got activated. John, how much stock are you buying from America's Seattle Mariners? I'm selling it all. This oh, is God. not a good team. Okay. Yeah, this is not a good team. Like <laughs> you look at the numbers, it's it's not. This is, I'm I'm sorry. I am sorry to Mariners fans. I know more than I want them to be happy probably more than any fan base because they have had so little to be happy about in the last two decades beyond mm-hmm. Ichiro. Oh, well, uh, I'll and, give them something they can do. Listen to the kid season two American Prodigy on Blue Wire. Great, great there you podcast go. about it. That will cheer very, you up. Very solid plug there. But you look at the Mariners. One, their pitching staff is just not good. You know, their, their starting rotation is just flat out bad. Marco Gonzalez should be better than he is, but otherwise you're not really expecting a whole lot better out of what you got there. Second, their lineup is just, aside from right now Mitch Haniger and Ty France, there's not really a whole lot working. And I guess Jose Marmalejos, but again, not is that is you know, Kyle Seeger is league average at best the jp crawford is you know jp crawford dylan moore evan white they're not hitting and you can't really expect them necessarily to start hitting all that much better white is a guy who's not really shown tremendous offensive ability quite yet uh moore had a big season last year but it looked kind of suspect and he's back down to a ops plus of 38 is that going to hold all season no he'll be better than that but I mean, look, this team, they're getting Kyle Lewis back, like you said. They're going to call Jared Kalenic up, you know, once the Super 2 deadline coincidentally passes or whatever deadline it is they're waiting for. Um, Taylor Trammell, you know, ideally will get better with more playing time. But, you know, I I think the thing that sticks out to me is not just the fact that they have a a negative run differential right now, but, you know, by by Pythagorean win-loss record, they should be 8-9. and And I think ultimately that's probably what this team is, is something in that kind of 78-82 to win window. Because there just there just isn't enough depth or star play or star stuff here. Star stuff. There aren't enough star players, and there isn't enough depth. I think for this to continue, they're on a hot streak right now. If nothing else, this is a tenacious team. You've seen it with all the comebacks. They're very clearly, uh, uh, you know, to to use every every white dad's favorite term. They're scrappy. They, mm. they play hard, but I, eventually, like talent does tend to win out. And I think the other problem with that the Mariners face is that, you know, they have two other they have three other good teams that division in the Angels, the A's and the Astros, who are all kind of a little bit scuffling right now, but are better than what they've been, especially Houston. Um, Yeah, I I just don't see this. I don't don't, obviously the the Mariners are not going to be like the Red Sox. They're not on pace to win 104 games or they're not going to win 104 games. But, you know, if, if nothing else, they're at least giving their fans something to be thankful for before jerry depoto trades it all away <laughs> he's got to be getting antsy he's just making calls yeah he's just, he's just he's like I, I need a new eighth reliever <laughs> somebody somebody just give me a back of the bullpen reliever yeah um but you know 
enjoy it while you can, Seattle fans. Exactly. Um, I just don't. That. I just don't see it lasting because I just don't yeah. see. I don't see the pitching or the offense being able to keep being able to to keep up that kind of pace. Especially because uh, the pitching already isn't keeping up that kind of pace. So, Jay Bruce, we mentioned at the top of the show, retired. Um, pour one out for Jay Bruce. Do you have a Jay Bruce story or memory that uh, is going to stay with you forever, John? Nah. <laughs> you know what I'll Jay- say about Jay Bruce though. Um, that kind of name, there is zero chance he wasn't going to be a big, powerful batter in Major League Baseball. Yeah, you look at you look at Jay Bruce, and you're like, yeah, you're a Jay Bruce. <laughs> like he is an yeah, absolute like Jay Bruce. You look like a Jay Bruce. <laughs> like that dude has um, been that big since he was like five years old. Yeah, since I I, I wasn't a Reds fan, um, and I didn't watch a whole lot of Reds baseball when he was on the Reds, because um, he spent the great majority of his career in Cincinnati. And then the the kind of sad thing for Bruce is once he left Cincinnati, things kind of just sputtered out you know he never really had any big or good moments not never but like they were pretty limited down the stretch obviously the three-time all-star in cincinnati was a big part of those good teams in the early 2010s um definitely not a guy obviously that's going to get any sort of hall of fame consideration he'll be one and done on his on his lone ballot five years from now it's funny he's a he was a 20 war player over the course of his career i just went ahead and looked up guys with worth 20 anywhere between 15 and 20 war with 6,500 or more plate appearances, which is he finished with 6,642. Uh, it's funny. He 20 war for Jay Bruce, right behind him, Jer- Jeremy Burnett's at 19.9, mm. virtually the same amount of plate appearances with a very similar slash line. And that kind of makes sense. I have not to heard like, that name in so long. Holy yeah, shit. Jay, Jay Bruce is going to be a, rem- a guy we remember, but I think Jeremy Burnett's feels like a semi appropriate comp yeah. and a guy, a good amount of power. You know, not a. Burnett's was a better OBP guy than I think people remember. But kind of defensively not super great. And you, you see a lot of other guys, like, uh, again, in, in between that 15 to 20 span, you have Jeff Conine, you have Vinny Castilla, you have Todd Zeal, Pat Burrell. Um, Adam Dunn, I think, makes a lot of sense. Obviously, Adam Dunn was a much better uh, hitter overall than Jay Bruce was, but he gave a lot of it back on back defensively. And I think that's similar to Bruce. It was just never really a great defender, average at best. But still, I mean, 6,600 plate appearances, 319 career home runs, like, no, we're never going to see Jay Bruce in the Hall of Fame, but he had a very solid career. And uh, if nothing else, I'm sure Reds fans have fond memories of him. And, you know, when his time comes, he'll definitely get his uh, himself into whatever the Reds ring of honor or whatever is their their particular own team Hall of Fame, because he was a very good player for them for for quite a good period of time. The 10 and 6 San Francisco Giants. Um, did you see the fan falling? Just yeah, busting not just his ass? Man, it was Zach Hampel. Was it really? It was Zach Hampel. I didn't know that. It was a dude who's caught like 20,000 home runs <laughs> like on his ass trying to get 20,001. <laughs> that dude is so embarrassing on so many levels. <laughs> I think my favorite, though, was someone on Twitter edited the video <laughs> to include the music from Sonic. Mm-hmm. And once and when Hample fell down, all the little rings came out with the ring falling out noise. <laughs> but yeah, that was Zach Hample. Yikes. That, yeah. that was great. great Big yikes, great. as the kids say. Um, what can we say about, say about Shohei Otani that we have not already said? Like, him and Trout now have a, over 1,000 OPS through 17 games. Otani is now an elite base runner, which is insane. Like, sure. what? Yeah. Did you Why see not? that anonymous quote from the Angels uh, front office that was like, yeah, uh, if we wanted to put him in center field, he'd be a gold glove center fielder. Like, Probably. this, this he, dude he just does whatever. Clearly, he can very clearly do anything. Um you can very, very clearly do anything. But I think my thing with, with Otani is, like, like we said before, the issue is how long can he keep the two-way thing up? He's going to pitch, I believe, today or tomorrow. I can't remember which. Um, 
you know, the, the big thing right now has been the blister and blisters, you know, as, as any person who's followed Rich Hill's career, for example, can tell you're kind of a chronic thing sometimes. I think eventually, like, and we've talked about it, the Angels are going to have to make that decision of, you know, do we let him keep pitching if all it's doing is just getting him hurt? But, yeah, I mean, he, I'm sure he could do whatever he wanted. I'm sure he could play any position on the on the diamond except maybe catcher and, like, just be fine at it. But that's the thing. Like, he – I do wonder if eventually they just say we're going to make him a full-time outfielder because, yeah. you know, he, he never – he didn't play that much outfield in Japan toward the end of his career there because he was focused uh, on the pitching and they, they figured DH was the easiest way to make sure he, you know, stayed healthy. But eventually I do think if the if the pitching stuff, if the two-way stuff does end – I do think the Angels are just going to say, "All right, we're just going to put you in. We're just going to put you in the outfield." Then, especially as Trout ages and is going to need to be moved off to a corner, I think maybe, yeah, maybe you do get to a point where it's like, "Okay, we're going to try Otani in center field and see what happens." Although the Angels do also have a good number of outfielders in, in Brandon Marsh and Joe Adele and and other guys down on their system, so they're they're flush at that particular position. But you know, well, they're it's potentially flush. We should say, yeah, well, they're potentially flush, of course, but like. I, I do wonder if that's just something where instead of just saying, like, okay, he's a full-time DH because that's kind of a waste of his abilities, it's like, no, we're going to give him a shot in the outfield and see what happens. But obviously that depends on, you know, how he responds to being a pitcher. And I, I hope he can make it work, but, you know, we shall see. I need Anibal Sanchez to be back in a Braves uniform. Do you really? Yeah, for sure. That dude, I, I'm a big Anibal Sanchez guy. Always been one. Three teams showing interest in him this week. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the Braves rotation. Uh, John. It's not great. It's bad, and it's getting worse by the day. Um, yeah, uh, the whole losing like Mike Soroka is not going to be back. It, it doesn't. He's not going to be back anytime soon, is he? No, it's not great. That's that's not what you want. Freed dealing with some stuff. Acuna getting hurt. Uh, mild strain there. Um, yeah, no, it's just this is turning into like kind of the the season from hell. Like, have you seen <clears throat> the outfield that the Braves are going to probably trot out tonight? Uh, Ozuna, Heredia, Ihira, Drianza? Who, who <laughs> That's what I'm the, saying! Who even is the third outfielder at this point? It might be Austin Riley and Wright. Oh, boy. That's not what you want. Yeah, I'm just looking at this Braves lineup. Boy, is nobody hitting aside from Acuna and Freeman. Acuna Ooh. is literally doing... I, I don't All know what to... Like, he is the sportsman wow. of the year for carrying this group. Like, it's yeah, unreal. He, this, yeah, this... I, I had not realized how, how... But no one on this team is hitting. No one? Jeez, this is grim. It, uh, yeah, the Braves are in some trouble right now. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it, it's a problem. Lucky for them is no one in the NLE seems to be doing anything good, and it's pretty clear at this point that the Nationals are a bad team. So I don't think you really need to worry about. I don't them think it's clear. Forward. Like they had a lot of COVID stuff. They had a. They lot did, but there's also not a lot of. It's the same issue I think with other teams. There's just not a lot of depth. And if Strasburg's injury is like long term, if it's not just oh he's going to miss a start or two just to get a shoulder right. That's a real problem because anyone knows what's wrong there. But you can't just have a rotation that's just Max Scherzer and a whole lot of shrugging. Like, that's just not going to work. But I also think You're the not Lerner family is more that. likely to do some in-season stuff to rebuild this. Like, the Lerner family has been very clear. We're not about rebuilding. They have the worst farm system in baseball. No, they're, they're, not, they're not about selling, which is – Yeah. Because that's, that's this is going to be the fascinating thing. If we, get to the, if we get to the deadline or if we get to July 1, the Nationals are very clearly out of it or, you know, they're just not clicking – does Max Scherzer go on the market? I don't think so. I don't think so either, but it will be fascinating to see. And I think you're right about some of the COVID stuff. Like, obviously, that that throws your the start of your season into a little bit of chaos. But, yeah, I mean, that the pitching staff is a real problem. I guess that's a nice thing for Atlanta is that, you know, no one's really off to a strong start in that division for whatever reason. Um, 
Even the Mets, I know they're. You I mean, know, they're, I think the Marlins I, are off to a strong start for the Marlins. If you look at it, yeah, from the I, I would agree because like Jazz Chisholm raking for Miami early is, is huge for them. Like that, him being a win, it's big for them. Yeah, and and he's been very good. And I mean, he's one of those kind of all or nothing hitters where it's like there's not a lot of plate patience, there's not no. a lot of super contact skills, but when he makes contact, it goes a long way. He is very strong, and on he's top of that, fun. he's also very fast and yeah. he's fun. Like it's just a thing. It's like I. More fun players. I will always stand for this. More fun players. Um, but Did you see Acuna like his... ask him to look at his hair? Yeah, that was awesome. Like, please, like, more of this. Make sure... I, I tweet about it. Like, protect both of these men at all costs. Like, this is exactly the kind of stuff baseball needs and should have. And I will say for Chisholm, like, he is he is drawing his walks right now. Still a lot of strikeouts. But the, the play patience has been there, uh, at least relative to last year and relative to what he's done in the minors. Uh, I think, like I said, the only thing you really kind... Not the only thing... The, you know, the thing you kind of think about is like, okay, can he keep that up? Like, can the contact rates keep up? Because again, there's a ton of power in, in his bat, which is crazy because he's a little dude. Or he's not a, he's not a little dude, but he's not a big guy either. He's not some big burly, like, it's funny. He's like, he, he actually kind of reminds me in that sense of Ozzy Albies is kind of, you know, not, not particularly big guy. who's just got a ton of power. Yeah. Last but you, thing, but you want, but you yeah. want Anibal Sanchez on the Braves. Oh yeah. Like that dude is immediately going to come in, pitch six innings. It's a couple Ks. I bet he goes. Ba- I bet he goes back to the Nationals just because they could desperately use the help. Well, so can the Braves. Yeah, but the Braves have they'll get they'll get Freed back. Maybe they'll get Soroka back at some point. Ian Anderson will figure some stuff out. They're fine. Okay, they're not fine. <laughs> if you say they're fine, I'll, I'll take your word for it. I, I don't think they're fine, but I don't we'll, think they're we'll fine. But I think they are better than this, and they should be better than this. The problem they're running into is the injuries are just going to make it that much harder because it just keeps it keeps. I do think there is something to, you know, not being able to field the same lineup, the same defense, the same rotation, like always having to adjust on the fly and fix things. I do think that does create problems where it's like no one can ever really get into a rhythm. No one can get comfortable. And that, that's not going to be a full time DH. Yeah, problem. That, just does have a, that does have a real knock on effect, I think. Yeah, it's just this is a season from hell. And it's also just like the Braves, like and I was telling the Atlanta sports guys on Friday, it's just that like there's no path to them getting to the Dodgers. Like, I don't no think there's in-season path path. anyone except for the Padres getting through the Dodgers. But that's what I'm saying. Like, not even the Padres. Like, I don't think they can catch the Padres midseason. Like, I think this is just a very flawed group that got thinner than they were a year ago. And the guys that were having career years are not having career years this year. So, I just, I don't really see the path. I think they can get back to winning the NL East. I still think that's a possibility. But, like, they're not contending. Like, this is not a group that can win a World Series or make it out of the NL. Like, no, this, not, not, they just not can't. currently. No. They, they need better health. They need, they, need, they need the guys who actually, like, they need Albies and Ozuna to be Albies and Ozuna. Not... Albies is scaring the shit out of me. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the issue last year, obviously, was was the wrist injury that, yep. that hampered him. And he looked better when he came back. But I think one thing I noted was, like, he, he, he certainly hit better. But the play patience really wasn't there. And it doesn't really seem like it's there this year either. That's That's got to be a big concern for Atlanta is, like, you know, yeah, you're strong. You're, you know, you, you've got great power, but like you need to be a little bit more discerning at what you're swinging at because right now it just seems like a lot of weak contact all over the place. Last thing we'll wrap up here today. Uh, There's a good piece on Bleed Cubby Blue about uh, the extra guy on second needing to go away and the universal DH coming. Like, what do you, what do you make about it? Like, do you think that this has actually hurt the game this year? The universe, I mean, the the lack of universal DH and uh, the runner on second uh, rule to start extras. I don't know if the lack of the universal DH is necessarily hurt. I think it would be better for baseball. Um, 
if it if it existed, I think that would be a positive, definitely, because it's just you know it's it's just it's more offense. Like pitchers hitting is just not a thing we need anymore. Well, we, it's we are just like they don't even do it in the minors. Like there's no, no reason. There's no reason. It, it's just it, MLB just screwed this up because they thought they could they thought they could hold it for leverage only for the players association to go. We don't care about that enough to to give you anything for it. Yeah. So. You know, now it's going to have to be a, a discussion during the next CBA. But they've already decided That's that it's happening the next one. They were just like, "We'll just run it back and we'll roll ride it out this year." Yeah. What? I think the extra. I, I, maybe this is a hot take. I don't particularly care about the the runner on second one way or the other. I don't either. It, I have a very fine. strong. It, it is what it is. Rule. You know, I have a strong extra rule in terms of overtime across all sports. It's extra, making it where it ends faster and that you don't have a full even fifty fifty shot is how it should be it's extra credit like you are getting extra time it should be like sudden death it should make it more difficult more high pressure because you didn't win the allotted time i'm okay with it i like it i like the when you come right in there you know you can't mess up i like the the immediate pressure that it puts on pitchers and defenses i I do think there is that value of just that you know it is it is like I, I wrote about this at Fangraphs last year, and I, I was kind of skeptical. I was like, is this really going to reduce the amount of time that's spent playing the game? Is this really going to reduce the amount of innings? It does seem like it's actually done that. So in that vein, it is useful. It just feels weird, though. In the same way that seven-inning doubleheaders feel weird, where it's just like, you always have to remind... Like, I, I have this constantly now with the doubleheader, where I'm like, wait a minute, it's the seventh inning. Why is the closer right seven-inning doubleheader? <laughs> same thing with the extra runner with the runner on second. I'm like, wait, what is that guy right extra innings? Like, but you'll just, get used it to that. You'll get used to it, but it just doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel organic. It is just something that has very clearly just been stapled on by the directive of Major League Baseball. And I think that's there's an element of baseball, I think, where Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings. A four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone's experienced the pain of dropped calls and internet outages, especially working remotely this last year. So here's the question. If you're the telco company, how do you help create better experiences for customers? Simple. ServiceNow digital workflows can help solve network problems faster and provide real-time status updates so customers aren't left in the dark. That's probably why ServiceNow workflows have helped telco companies see an increase in customer satisfaction. But proactive customer communications only half the battle. With a single view of your back, middle, and front office operations, ServiceNow workflows also eliminate silos, keeping teams more in sync and more productive. With our scalable services, companies assure a better experience for both customers and employees on a single platform, the Now platform. So how do you help provide a better network experience for customers? With ServiceNow for telecommunications to help streamline network operations. Whatever your business is facing, let's workflow it. ServiceNow. Things feel like they arise organically insofar as they can arise organically in a game that is as you know structured and rule bound as baseball is. But it's like a runner gets on base because he earns his way on base. Either he walks or he gets a hit or someone makes a mistake in the out in the in defensively. He doesn't just magically appear there for no reason. And I think that's kind of probably the hardest part to get used to is not even so much what it does in terms of strategy, because so far it doesn't really seem like there's. I was worried when when the when the runner on second thing became a rule that it was just going to lead to a bunch of bunting. Like, bunt the runner over to third and then hope for a sacrifice fly or, or a ground out to first base to score him or, or whatever. It hasn't been that, which I appreciate. But there is this 
weird kind of foreign element to it of just like, what is this guy doing there? Like, how, how did he get there? I particularly love that he's ruled to have reached on an error that nobody committed, which is just this great metaphysical brain puzzle. But like, I, I think for me, it's just the, the, the arbitrary, if not ar- arbitrary is maybe not the right word, but just the kind of artificial nature of just plopping a guy at second and be like, okay, there's a guy at second base now, play on. It's like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. Like, that's just, why? Why is this happening? That, I think, is the part that is hardest to get used to. And I I've, I don't know. Like I said, I don't necessarily have the strongest feelings about it. Like, I prefer baseball just be baseball all the way through instead of baseball up until the 10th inning, and then it's suddenly a different form of baseball that never has really made much sense to me. But ultimately, in extra innings, things get weird anyway. You have pitchers hitting and position players pitching and guys playing out. Like, you saw with that that, that Padres-Dodgers game. You had Jake Cronenworth pitching and Joe Musgrove playing left field. That's just what happens in extra innings. Extra innings is weird by default. So, who was I guess the swing pitcher be... who was throwing like 40 miles an hour? Williams Astadio. Yeah, that's right. Big Williams. He was throwing 46 miles an hour. That was great. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the thing. Extra innings what is weird. What do you think you would throw, John? What do I think I would throw? Yeah, if you like, had to throw your hardest from the mound, what do you think you would hit like, on the radar gun right now? 35? 35. Like, not, maybe not even that. Like, I'm sure my motion and mechanics are absolutely garbage, and I'm sure I would significantly injure myself. <laughs> Like there's no I'm I'm just I'm throwing one pitch and immediately just like my arm is just dangling by my side. Like I'm I'm sure it would be. <laughs> like I did um when the All-Star game came to New York back in 2008, they had a, a the Fan Fest um out at at the Javits Center, which is near where I live. And I went there and they had a um one of those like, "Oh, pitch to a major league hitter a video of me or whatever" mm-hmm. with an actual radar gun. And I remember I think I hit 40 on it. But that was like like winding up like as hard as I could, and I still barely hit forty miles an hour. Like okay. no, there's I, I get on a major. I don't even think I'd get it sixty feet. That's the other thing. Like I'm I'm ninety five percent sure it's not going as far as it should, and it's going like two feet above the catcher, and it's going maximum like forty miles an hour. It would just be the worst moment of my entire life. See, and also, I I'm think I would throw heat. I think I'd actually register pretty nicely, but I think it would just be I would completely miss the catcher like i think at this point oh I yeah would, not a chance There's like a i am not going anywhere no near the catcher not a chance in hell <laughs> they're like, like no, great I... great pitch but great velocity but uh you literally hit 85 year old grandma at first base like what are you That's doing the there's no part of pitching in terms of excuse me in terms of mechanics motion accuracy velocity like any of that that i am capable of doing correctly not a single part of it it would be I hope I, I don't think it'll ever happen for a variety of reasons, but I hope I'm never asked to throw a first pitch. It would just be the ugliest thing in the entire world. It'd be some fifty cent Carly Ray Jepsen shit. <laughs> Anthony Fauci just winging it out there. Just that that's how bad it would be. I'm I'm not I'm not gonna be like you know, like when they when they dragged uh, uh W out there for whatever first pitch he did post nine eleven, he just throws a fucking perfect strike. Like, no, that's not me. Like I'm I am just I'm gonna hit someone like four rows behind home plate to like on the first base side. Yeah. All right, John. Well, that's that's all I've got, my friend. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug as we wrap up here today? No, just uh, per usual, Fangraphs still doing our April membership drive. Come on over, sign up for a membership, uh, ad free or otherwise. Help us help us keep doing our thing. But no, we're we're just chilling. Just it, it is just it is great to have baseball back, especially the further we get through April, the more normal things feel. Um, and I and I really appreciate that return of normalcy that is now not just not just having baseball back, but this is I've, I've noticed the really, really big difference for me having crowds back, having yeah. people in the stands back. That just makes such a baseball is not a sport that should be played in front of no one. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's also sport. just like now that we've gotten it. Can you imagine it getting taken away? Like 
that's what pro wrestling just did where like wrestlemania was like full almost and then you went back to the thunderdome with all the fake fans and on their computers and it's just like oh it's just weird no no it's like it is so nice to have fans back you know ideally you do it in a safe way not in the way texas is doing which is like yeah forty thousand people no mass who cares but yeah i uh it's just so nice to have baseball back and it's so nice to have normal baseball back because that yeah. last year was just not normal it just I felt also just so need weird. my tennessee balls to start falling off a little bit because we're a top five college baseball team john there and you, you know how much tickets we're going for for uh florida tennessee two weeks ago my parents were here we we're trying to go okay. catch uh tennessee florida it's like 100 bucks 300 dollars for one ticket dollars dude they're 30 percent capacity and it's a hot ticket this weekend with bandy i don't even want to know what bandy S- was sec bill different man it, it hey it just means more down here john it, does, it, <laughs> it means more <laughs> it just means more all right john thank you as always my friend i'll uh, i'll talk to you soon thanks man Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.